It's T-minus five days until the presidential election, Phil. Five days? It seems like we've been in an election cycle for like the last year and a half. We're recording this on Thursday morning. I'm not expecting an October surprise, at least anything to change the course of this race. So many people have already voted, any surprises wouldn't even matter at this point. Yesterday we learned that more than half of the number of people who voted last time around have already voted now, either by mail or early in person. So the election's already half over and we're not even to election day. Yeah. Well, today on Center Stage, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics, we're going to take our last licks at this election, sort of a grab bag approach of final thoughts before the votes are counted. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. I am uh, Phil Hands. I am the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. We are half of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. The last licked half. Bill, in Sunday's newspaper, besides a summary of our many endorsements we have made over the last month, we're running an old editorial from 100 years ago. It ran the day before the election in 1920. Also happened to be at the tail end of a major pandemic, by the way. The headline on that baby is, End of Election, A Glorious Feeling. So people have dreaded elections for over 100 years, huh? <laughs> And that was before they had nonstop TV ads on the air. Yeah, that was before cable TV, too. I think they just had cables back then. Actually, the State Journal at that time, 120 years ago, was bragging on its front page that four wires were going to be cabled into the newsroom downtown. Back then, we were just off King Street over by Carroll and Doty. And the UPI wire and Western Union, there were wires like that. We're bringing in the latest results from across the country. And the State Journal was going to have a big screen up outside on the street and was going to use these film cameras. They're sort of like glorified slideshows where they were going to put up the latest election results and flash them on this big screen downtown and they're expecting a giant crowd to come out and watch. That's where you were going to see the first results coming in from across the country. Fascinating. I'm sure it was projected there. They didn't have like, it was, there was, they didn't have an LCD screen up there, I don't think. <laughs> no, it was projected like a film strip. Who did the State Journal endorse in 1920? Warren Harding who won by a landslide, not a fake landslide like Trump claimed he got. This was a landslide landslide. Like a 1984 landslide? This was 400-some electoral votes for Warren Harding. Wow. Well, one of my last licks here at the election that I never really got to write or talk about, but just blows me away, is the volume of fundraising pitches I get. I am a journalist. I have never given a dime, not even a penny, to a politician. Neither have I. Ever in my life. And I just counted up over the last 12 hours. I've gotten 15 emails from people who want money from me. And let me just tick through them because there's no rhyme or reason to them. One is somebody named Joe Collins, a Republican running against Maxine Water. I got one from Sarah. It's our uh, state treasurer. She doesn't even say her last name, and I can't remember what it is. Sarah Godlewski. Here's one from Nancy Pelosi. 
Pete Buttigieg is humbly asking me for five dollars. If I do that, it's going to be mashed up to twenty. Lindsey Graham wants my money. Somebody named Alex Scarlatos. Uh, he's a Republican for Congress. Barack Obama would really like me to give some money to the Senate's campaign committee. Sarah Huckabee Sanders wants forty-five dollars. Mark Kelly, Barack Obama again. He's begging me. We're begging Scott. Here's one from John James. Do you know who that is? A Michigan guy. Yeah. He's a Republican. He wants my money. And then I seem to get a Jim Jordan pitch for money. The Republican from Ohio, also a wrestling champ from UW long ago. Every time I get one from him where he wants some money, it seems like I get another one from Mark Pocan. I don't know what's going on with that. I think they hired the same firm or something. Yeah. I even got one from Mark Pocan, albeit a year ago, asking for five fifty or dollars or $100 from me. Scott, I need you to donate right now. A far-right Trump Republican has officially filed paperwork to challenge me for this seat in 2020. Republicans are coming after progressives like me in key swing states across the country. So we really need to reach this fundraising goal to defend my seat. Probably the safest seat in Wisconsin. He won with 69% of the vote the last time he actually had a competitor, Peter Theron, who's sort of his perennial token candidate. All right, I got that off my chest. I'm sick and tired of those fundraising pitches that clog my email. I hope they'll be reduced by at least half after the election. I doubt it. I mean, it's always time to raise money when you're in politics. The one thing that I know is going to go away... For me, is I still have a landline at my house. Wow. Here's my lick, one of my, my, my first lick. We've got a landline at our house, old school, right? We've been inundated with phone calls from the Democratic Party of Wisconsin begging us to vote. <sighs> you know, I vote in every election. And, and after I got, I think my wife was out of town and we had six, I was just home with the kids, and like six times and on a Saturday they called my house. And after the sixth time I finally said, if the Democratic Party of Wisconsin calls me one more time, I am voting for Trump. <laughs> and that's the last time I got a phone call from them, you know, so. I remember writing editorials in past elections about these terrible robocalls, but I don't have a landline anymore. And for whatever reason, they don't ever call me on my cell phone anymore. I sometimes get some calls with people talking to me in Chinese that are junk calls, or they want me to uh, re-up a vehicle warranty on my 2008 Subaru, which makes no sense. But I never get those robo-political calls anymore. These aren't robo-calls. These are live people calling. So the Democratic Party's paying these people to make phone calls on their behalf. In Madison, which is sort of a waste of their money because, <laughs> I mean, Madison's fired up and ready to vote. So I finally got taken off the list, I think. But yeah, it was it was live people calling. What else we got here? One thing that sort of is weird and, and, and bugs me about this election is I miss voting in person. You know, I voted early, like we told most people to do, because that's the safest way to vote is to not be in line, even though being in line on election day is still probably very safe. But I voted early and I kind of miss the, the act of going to the polls on election day and being in line with your neighbors and casting your ballot. And for me, it's always very special because my son, who's now 12 years old, was born on an election day. My wife and I were on the way to the polling place early in the morning on election day where we decided that we had to change directions and go to the hospital because Owen was coming. <laughs> and I actually went back to the polling place later that day and got to skip the line. It was the day that Barack Obama was like the president. And there was a huge, probably hour-long, hour-and-a-half-long line to vote over on the near west side and they, they put me right in the front because I was like, my wife's in labor right now. I got to vote. So I, I'm going to miss that. 
<laughs> My oldest daughter turned 18 on Sunday. Happy birthday, Zella. She just dropped off her ballot yesterday. I was with her in a drop box that you drive up to by the fire department that's closest to our house. Yeah, it didn't have the same patriotic, warm feeling that you get going into the polls. The pandemic has really changed this whole election. Is it me, Scott? Or does, despite the fact the outrage at Trump and how fired up the liberals are, that just, it feels very subdued. Well, you need to log into Twitter or Facebook and it's not subdued at all. I mean, I think the social media thing is where people do that now. Part of why it's subdued is we're just not interacting with people in person. We were going to go to the Democratic Convention this year and podcast from there and, and do all sorts of fun stuff. We didn't get to do that. There's been no big rallies in Madison. Yeah, I remember when Barack Obama, every time he ran for, it seemed like that was like the playbook was a week before the election, you get 100,000 people on the Capitol Square and make it look like you're all presidential. Yeah. And they didn't do that this time around. Of course, Hillary didn't do that either, which is probably to her detriment. And with the virus and all the protests this summer, it felt like the election was always kind of the third story of the day as opposed to the, the, the lead story of the day. The other thing that's happening is that it all feels locked in. I mean, the polls have changed so little, particularly in Wisconsin, but even nationally, they've changed so little. Biden's ahead. He's always pretty much been ahead. No matter what happens in the race, it feels like that's locked in. And either the polls have adjusted from four years ago such that they're now pulling in some of these voters they weren't getting in the last election, and they're right and Biden's going to win, or somehow Trump squeaks this out, I think you're going to see even more dismissing of polls in the future. I think polling's, the whole industry is really on trial here with this election. I mean, if Biden yeah. doesn't win, what good is a poll? The Marquette poll, which is sort of the gold standard, has Biden at like, what, 49%? Five points ahead. Well, a, a, a poll by ABC and the Washington Post has Biden at 57%. So which one do you believe? One of those polls is wrong. You know, they can't both be right. Well, to my point, though, they're both saying Biden's ahead. Now, in the Marquette poll, it's within the margin of error, but not not by that much. No. I just think if the polls can't get it right this time, when everything's been so steady for so long, it'll just be... I think a travesty for, for that whole industry. They're going to have to go back and redouble down and rethink how they do things. But I do think Biden's going to win. I think so too, but I was pretty certain Hillary's going to win four years ago, so I'm holding my tongue. And I'm guilty as charged on that one too. I voted a month ago. We've been urging people to vote by mail an absentee or in person early because that will reduce the number of people at the polls on election day and make it a lot safer for those who do need to vote on election day. And on that note, despite Wisconsin posting record number of cases of COVID-19 this week, I would urge everyone, if you haven't voted, to go to the polls and vote. It is safe. It's as safe as going to the grocery store or liquor store, which we all know people are doing. Yeah. And if anything, there'll probably be more attention to spacing out people. I mean, you can remember, you know, maybe this is a last lick, is that last spring in the presidential primary race, a lot of liberals were terrified in, about going to the polls and we needed to delay the election because everybody's going to die. They had to choose between their health and voting. And luckily, we had the State Journal editorial board come in and say, no, relax, this can be done safely and democracy must go on.
it turns out we were right. There was a study that showed that that did not spread the disease any more than the disease was spread outside the polls. And now that we're in a much more serious situation with the virus, isn't it curious in Madison? Nobody's demanding that we delay the election. No, no, I don't. That's that's I don't think I don't find that curious at all, Scott. I find that entirely predictable. I will say there was really not really wide community spread. We, we didn't believe the numbers of low test cases because we didn't have the ability to test people for the virus at the time. So there was a lot of uncertainty and fear in April. Now that our caseload is, I think our average seven-day average is almost 4,000 cases a day. But we, we have the, the, the tracing. We know a lot more about the virus now. And we, we know how to track it better. We know how people can get tested if they need to. And so... And it feels like our lives are getting more back to normal because we are aware of the virus in a way we weren't in the spring. So there isn't that sort of fear factor that existed in in April. Also, the polling places are going to have plenty of poll workers, unlike last time. Last time around in Milwaukee, uh, they only had like five of 180-some polling places open. This time they're supposed to have all of them open. And we kind of got this thing figured out, you know, the whole six feet away. We all have masks. We sanitize our hands after we touch the pens. It, we, we, I think we know how to do this safely. Yeah, I, I, I would encourage everybody to vote if you haven't. Hold your head up high, walk in the polling place. You can do so safely, and we want everybody to vote. Even if you're voting for Trump, I, I mean that sincerely. I want America to pick the leader that America wants, the Electoral College notwithstanding. Here's one thing, Scott. I have doubts if if we find out that, you know, Biden has won this election by five million votes at the end of the day and Trump still wins the Electoral College. I don't know what's going to happen to our country. I think I think that could be really terrifying. What might be more terrifying is if Trump were to lose by a sliver when he's been fueling the rigged election fake news since before the last time he won. That would worry me more, is if Trump lost by a whisker, you know he's going to fight it to the nth degree and never stop saying that it was unfair, he was robbed. And rigged. It was rigged. I mean, he says that about everything now. Even when he wins, he says that. He lost the popular vote because of voter fraud. If that's what That was his line was last time around. Yeah. And I'm not really concerned about violence at the polls or people showing up with guns. I don't think we'll get results that night unless Biden walks away with it. But it could be election week rather than election day. But I don't see turmoil in the streets out of this. And hopefully everybody can be patient and keep their head. I, I think we can. And I, and I do have faith in the election system to count the votes. I have faith in that, too. I think what I was talking about is, you know, if Electoral College gives the election again to somebody who didn't win the popular vote, I think the Electoral College might be done. The next time the Democrats have the power to do something about it. What else you got? Any last licks you want to get in here before we wrap up the final podcast of this long, tedious, occasionally fascinating presidential election? This was not presidential. This was uh, legislative, the, the, the state the state assembly. And I was really taken aback by some of the Republicans we met with via Zoom, you know, who we've had really nice, cordial conversations in the past and have always endorsed, like Mark Bourne and Travis Trainel. They seem particularly chippy talking to us this time around, you know, and I don't know if they're getting talking points from leadership on, you know, don't be nice to the state journal because of their push on gerrymandering reform, or if it's just sort of, they're tired of us 
you know, ragging on Trump or me ragging on Trump on a pretty consistent basis. But there was some there was some chippiness from these Republicans who we've always liked and endorsed in the past. Um, and it seemed, sort of seemed like they came in to our uh, meetings a little defensive, a little more defensive than they ever have before. Yeah, there's a little edge uh, uh, on a couple of the moments in our endorsement meetings. On the other hand, our endorsement meetings were about as far from the first presidential debate as you could get in terms of being – these were very civil people – Good-spirited. I mean, we had one race there from Janesville where everybody was bending over backwards to compliment each other. I think democracy is still healthy despite the toxin known as Trump. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you do see that, especially with the, at the local level, too, that, you know, all of these people that we meet with that are in the assembly or running for the assembly are all more respectful and decent than the man in the White House. Maybe one of my last licks is just to some of these Trump supporters is, you know, I I understand why a lot of people voted for him four years ago when he was a new thing. He was going to shake up Washington. He wasn't a politician. Let's try something new. But we tried that for the last four years. It's been exhausting. And he is the least presidential president of all time. He was just in your state of Michigan where there was a plot to kidnap the governor. And what does he say about that? Maybe that was a problem. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. I, I mean, come on. And, I mean, yeah, come I mean, on. He, he was bad-mouthing the governor, too. He's yelling, lock her up after, you know, the week after she there was a kidnapping attempt on her. After the kidnappers wanted to lock her up. So uh, he's just gone off the rails. And I think our country's better than this, and I sure hope we are. I mean, I will ex- accept the results. If Trump somehow wins, I will accept that. I will move on. But really? Trump again? <laughs> you had four years to see what a, I mean, can we say shit show on the air? <laughs> it's been, it's just a disaster. Uh, he's, his, his leadership is an absolute disaster. And, uh, and I, I sure hope America can see that. Um, and, if, and, if they, and if America does pick Trump again, it shows that we are out of touch with what's going on in a lot of people's lives. He's great for ratings. He loves ratings. And he's got the most beautiful ratings because you can't turn away because he's always coming up with some other outlandish thing to say. Um, But it's just this sort of helter-skelter reality TV show, and I I just want a nice, boring, competent president. And Joe Biden sure is boring. So there you go. And I think he's competent. Much better option than uh, Mr. Trump, the orange man. I'm really hopeful that, like, I might draw Trump, like, three or four more times in my life and be done with it. Yeah, and you're getting a little better at your Biden cartoons. You had him as Frankenstein in today's uh, paper. I, I think you could have some fun with Biden. Oh, I think I could have a lot of fun with Biden. I think Biden would be much better for cartoonists than Trump. Trump is such a cartoon himself. Any of the presidents, the kind of stuff that Trump says, you'd be like, that's a cartoon. But Trump says that 12 times a day on Twitter. You can't even be outraged anymore. You can't make a cartoon out of it because he's going to Trump it the next, you know, in 12 minutes with something more outrageous and outlandish. I'm looking forward for boring old Biden, man. And like, he'll say, he'll, you know, he'll make some gaffes and I'll make fun of that. He'll go overboard with some liberal policy and I'll make fun of that. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to normal as a cartoonist. Well, we shall see. Even if that does happen, though, you might have to start drawing Trump again when he runs in 2024. The man's not going away, I don't think.
Our theme music is by Tube Tester. To follow all of the political news here in the capital city, across Wisconsin, and in Washington, D.C., you really need a subscription to Madison.com. Right now, you can get your first three months of all our digital content for just three bucks. That's right, three months for three bucks. Go to Madison.com slash subscribe now. 